Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you have joined with us. Uh, doing something a little bit different uh, for the f uh, next few uh, Wednesday nights and uh, we'll see how it goes and if we need to adjust it or go back the way that we were doing it, that's fine. But what we're going to try and do is uh, leave room at the end of the uh, study for you guys to be able to ask questions and uh, get specific questions that you might have answered. So uh, people, a lot of people enjoy the Wednesday night Bible studies. They like the verse-by-verse -verse teaching. But a lot of people have said, gee, I, you know, but I had a question about this or that or the other. So we're going to allow it at the, at the different campuses. Uh, the pastor will be able to uh, get up after the study and, and have specific uh, discussion questions and kind of get you guys more involved in this. Because some of the best ways you can learn anything is just to ask questions. So we're going to try this for a little while, see how it works, and uh, hopefully it's an improvement. If not, we'll just go back to the way we were doing it. So uh, anyway, expect that for the next few nights. Now, next Wednesday nights. Um, we are in 1 Kings, the 13th chapter, uh, uh, cha uh, verse 33. And um, what we've been reading, obviously, up to this point, we finally got through the life of King David. It was a major uh, event in the Bible. Jesus was called the Son of David. Uh, this is the line of the Messiah. Now it gets very specific from the nation down to the tribe, down to now this is David. The, Jesus is going to be through this lineage, uh, the great King David. Uh, we went quickly through the life of Solomon, as interesting as it was. Now Solomon is dead, and now the nation splits again. Because of the sin, son, sins of Solomon, God waits till Solomon uh, dies out of respect for his father David, but then the nation splits again. We get Israel to the north, we've got Judah and Benjamin, to the south. We've got the split kingdom again. And uh, we've got Rehoboam, who is the king of Ju uh, Judah of the south, and King uh, Jeroboam, who is the king of Israel to the north. And then we read about how Jeroboam is uh, doing all the wrong things and sinning against God, and God sends a prophet in chapter 13 and speaks uh, condemnation on, on what's going on, and Jeroboam puts at him, points at him and says, arrest that man! And his hand shrivels up and then he calls out in repentance and God heals his hand again. And how that prophet got tricked by another prophet uh, to do something that he shouldn't do. And we talked about be careful with people who prophesy to you. It's a wonderful thing when someone says, I think God wants me to say this to you. Very encouraging. It's been great encouragement throughout my life. But just don't go off because someone says, God told me. Because you'd wind up like this guy and get himself in trouble, and he winds up dead. Uh, so we pick it up at verse 33. Even after this, Jeroboam, this king of Israel, after the prophet showing up in all this dramatic display, did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. There's no big deal. You want to be a priest? We'll make you a priest, you know, and... and uh, they were into idolatry and sinning against God. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. Okay, now chapter 14, um, a prophet prophesies against Jeroboam and tells him, boy, your life, you're all going to be destroyed, your children and everybody after you and, and stuff like that. Um, and then as we go through First Kings in his next few se sessions, uh, or next few chapters. We're going to read this. You can read this on your own. But it basically jumps back and forth to show you who becomes king in Judah, who becomes king in Israel, and back and forth. Uh, and there's just a few 
verses sometimes to each king. But uh, So we read about this in Jeroboam, and then uh, halfway through uh, uh, chapter 14, it talks about Rehoboam is the king in Judah, which we already knew, and then Abijah becomes the king of Judah after Rehoboam, and then Asa becomes the king of Judah after him, and then it jumps back to Israel, and then talks about Nadab becoming the king, and then Basha becomes king of Israel in chapter 16, then Elah, and Zimri, and Omri, and each one of these guys, uh, you know, it's got some little details about them. You can read about them. You can read a lot more detail about the kings of Judah by flipping over to uh, Chronicles. you got First and Second Kings in the, New Tes- in the Old Testament. Then you have First and Second Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles is uh, it, it's kind of like the Old Testament's version of the four Gospels. In other words, we have the same story told four different, by four different guys who had, you know, some had been there, some had heard about it, and they, they, they wrote these Gospels. Uh, each one a little bit different, kind of a little different look. Well, we have that through this period. We've got First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, pretty much following the same time period. The difference with Chronicles is they pretty much just track what happens to the kings of Judah. Judah is now the line of David. This is where the Bible is getting very specific now and just wants to follow what happens so, uh, to, uh, to Judah. So when you read um, the First and Second Kings, they keep referring back and forth. Here's what's happening in Israel. Here's what's happening in Judah. Here's what's happening in Israel. Here's what's happening in Judah, back and forth. When you read Chronicles, it pretty much just tracks, here's what's happening in Judah because that's the main focus through there. And uh, depending on what we run into, we might jump over there for some more specific things. They get much more detailed about what's happening in those kings' lives. But uh, anyway, for the most part, these kings not playing a major role one way or the other. Most of them are messing up uh, and sinning against God. Except for Asa, king of Judah. He was one king who came along who honored God and stuff. But anyway, so we're going back and forth. This king, that king, this king, that king. And we get to uh, chapter 16 at verse 29. And then all of a sudden, there's like this major, and they slow down. And now we get into great detail surrounding uh, not so much this particular king, but the prophets who come along. Now, we're about to be introduced to Elijah and Elisha, who follows Elijah. These are two of the most dramatic, if not the most dramatic, prophets in the Old Testament. Interestingly enough, they never wrote anything down. They're not like uh, um, uh, Isaiah or, you know, Ezekiel or some of these different guys. And in fact, a lot of these prophets that you'll look at in, in the Old Testament as you flip through, and you'll see Jeremiah and Isaiah, and you'll see these minor prophets, uh, uh, you know, these little guys popping up here and there. A lot of those guys were the prophets who showed up during these different kings' reign. In fact, when you read this, it'll say, during the reign of king, you know, Nadab or whatever, whoever the king was. And, uh, and you'll see how the prophet spoke specifically to that prophet, to that king, about doing the right thing. Most of these kings were a mess before God. And a, and a lot of the prophetic things that you read in the Old Testament, um, and I don't think we're, we, you know, Amos and some of these guys, Zephaniah and Micah and some of these guys, we're, we're probably never going to read that through, uh, I don't know. We might, but highly unlikely uh, that I'd want to go through some of that particular Isaiah. Some of the stuff is very, very detailed. But as you read that, those books are there, are the recordings of those prophets who spoke to these kings 
during this period that I just zoomed through here and will continue to zoom through uh, as, as we speed along again. Uh, they had specific things to say. They were warning the nation, don't go down this path. God is going to discipline you. You're going to get in major trouble, and they eventually do. We'll get there to all that. But that's what uh, a lot of the Old Testament, you flip over and you see those prophets and stuff, that was all happening during First and Second Kings. All right? Just so you get a picture of it. Now, we come to Ahab. Everything slows down. Whereas a couple of verses of this king, verses of this king, now we slow way down because of Elijah and Elisha. Now, these two never wrote anything down that we're aware of. There's certainly no books in the Bible by them. But they are two of the most powerful, if not for sure the most powerful prophets in the Old Testament. And it's quite interesting, the stories that we're about to read. And some of it's absolutely hilarious. So let's pick it up. Chapter 16, verse 29. Now the king of Israel, this is the north group, now Ahab becomes king. So in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, and they would keep using that reference, when Judah was at this point, then this is what happened in Israel. And when Israel got to this point, this is what happened in Judah. So 38 years into Asa of Judah's reign, then Ahab, son of Omri, became king in Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So he's like the worst cat of them all. He's really bad news. Um, he not only considered it, considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, who started all this stuff, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal, which was this big false prophet during the time, and idols that they would worship, and they worshiped him. Now, this is the Jezebel uh, that is the wicked woman in the Old Testament. To this day, you will hear people refer to a woman who's, uh, you know, a very loose woman or a very mean, you know, witchy woman and say, oh, she's just a Jezebel. If you've ever heard that phrase, you know what I'm talking about? That woman's just a Jezebel, uh, just a nasty way. What they're doing is referring to this woman. This is the woman who to this day, thousands of years later, when people are still using your name in a bad way, thousands of years later, you are one bad dude. Okay, so this is Jezebel, this nasty lady who was married to this king Ahab, and together they were wicked up the wazoo, and they, they really took things to a new level. Um, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. Bad, 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 bad guy. Now, in Ahab's time, Hale of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. Now he built, uh, he laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abraham, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance to the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Now we won't go back there, but you'll remember when Joshua first came into the promised land, comes up against Jericho. They marched around the wall seven times on that one day. Well, for one, once every day for seven days, the last time seven times. They made this big shout. The walls came tumbling down. God gave them a big, big victory. And uh, Joshua prophesied and put a curse on the city and said, if anyone ever tries to rebuild the foundations, that his firstborn son would die, and anyone who ever uh, sets up its gates that their second or their youngest son will die. Well, now it's been hundreds of years have passed, and this guy, Hale, Hyle, whatever, H-I-E-L, 
decides to rebuild Jericho. And as prophesied, as its foundations were laid, his firstborn son died. And by the time he set up the gates, his second, his youngest son died. All in prophecy of, of the words of Joshua hundreds of years earlier. I guess they thought maybe God had forgotten. You know, it's been so long, surely something's changed. Nothing had changed. They did the wrong thing. It cost them his children. And then we're introduced in chapter 17 to this incredible prophet named Elijah. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead says to Ahab, this wicked, rotten king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So he steps up. He looks this guy in the face because he's so wicked. There's not going to be any rain. We're going to talk about a serious drought until I say it can rain. And he takes off. Well, I'm sure the guy just blew him off. You know, I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe he's a crazy guy. Ahab wasn't listening. Ahab and Jezebel didn't care much for the prophets of God at all. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he said, You better leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareen Ravine east of Jordan. You will drink uh, from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine uh, east of Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So God says, you better go hide. Why? Because once it quits raining and he gets that you really were a prophet of God and then it won't rain again until you say so, they're going to be looking for you. So he hangs out. He's got a pretty cushy gig at this point. It's great. He's just hanging out by this brook. Life is good. In the morning, birds fly in bread and meat for him to eat. And then in the evening, they'd fly in and bring him more food to eat. And of course, he had the brook there that he was able to drink from. Great provisions, great blessings. Hallelujah. Now, if you and I, I'm waving at something floating around the air here. If you and I were in this place, we would be exceedingly happy. This is great. Everything's good. Everything is good. Don't change anything. Why change anything? Everything is great. We all love it when things are great, when things are on a high. It's like when Jesus was transfigured on the mount in front of the apostles and they said, ooh, let's build a, you know, a, a, a temple here or, or three tabernacles here, one for you and for, one for Moses and one for Elijah and ooh, it'll be so great. You know, if there's one thing that happens when things are going good is everybody wants to hang on to that. And I understand that. That's human nature. I'm exactly the same way. There. They were that way. The apostles were exactly that way. It's in the nature of mankind to hang on to and want to grasp and cherish that which is just right. Because we love it when things are just right. Why would you mess with that which is just right? But then God comes along and starts changing the formulas and that which was just right suddenly is no longer just right. People are inconvenienced. Things aren't going as smoothly as you'd hoped. And usually this is when people start griping and complaining and going psycho crazy and thinking the world has come to an end and somebody's done something terribly wrong and blah, 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 blah. When in reality, God does this stuff on purpose. Why? Because we get so comfortable around some things being just the way they are, that becomes more important to us and more comforting to us than God himself. And he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He's a jealous God. 
and will not tolerate it. The good thing is if you're in a place of comfort in your life, it's a blessing. The bad news, if you really get comfortable with it and really fall in love with it, God will take it away from you. He will not tolerate it. My advice to you is don't get too comfortable. Don't get your eyes off of heaven. Don't just get excited about the way things are uh, because as sure as I'm standing here, God will bring us something along and he will change it because things aren't to stay the same. So what happens? Verse 7, all of a sudden the brook dried up because there had been no more rain in the land and the word of the Lord came to him and said, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. No! 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 I like it here! Where are the birds? Where are those stupid birds? They're late! It's lunchtime! I mean, just speak to a rock. God, make water come out of a rock. The water was not a big issue with God. God can make water come out of a rock, as we saw uh, with, with uh, Moses on more than one occasion. God, don't change things. I like it the way it is. This is so comfortable. But God lets the creek dry up. Birds quit showing up with the food. It's time to move. And by the way, people, make no mistake, oftentimes God uses circumstances to change things. He uses circumstances to change things. I have said this a hundred times, and I mean it. It's not a joke. I'm, the way God has overwhelmingly led in my life. I would love to have visions and dreams and hear words coming into my head. It almost never happens for me. Wish it did. But the way God leads me is he closes every window and door in the house, opens one door, and lights the house on fire. And then says, what are you going to do? And it's all the circuit. All, every other door said, there's only one way I can go. And that's how God has always dealt in my life. Now, if I was more spiritual like you, maybe I wouldn't have to experience that. But make no mistake, people, God oftentimes uses circumstances to cause a change you know even the big circumstance you know the big uh, trial that everybody's been going through because we had to change things in the church and cut staff and programs because of the budget you know why is this happening why is this happening why is this look stuff changes sometimes whatever is affecting the whole land affects the prophet the whole land was affected because there was no water and it also affected him and now he's got to move. It's okay. God has things in control. He knows what he's doing. He's not going to let you get too comfortable. You know, who do you really love? Where is your circumstance? It's, you know, it's been so heartbreaking to see so many people that, you know, when things change, their whole commitment to the church and to everything God is doing is just blown out of the water. They just fall by the wayside. That's so sad. Man, I hope it would take a whole lot more than a bunch of budget cuts to change my commitment to serving God. You know, now things get, you know, to where God's making a big change in my life or anybody else's change, and so be it. But, you know, because God opens or closes the door, let it be that way, not because we're upset because things aren't the same anymore. Things will always change. And let's face it, most of us hate change, including me. I don't like it. Never have. Big fan of the same. I like the same. As crazy as I am, I like the same. Don't like changes. Not very many people do. Some do, but not many. But it's okay. We can trust God. He will change things up, if nothing else, other than just to change things up, to keep us focused on him. Amen. All right, so he says, go to Zarephath. And I've, I've commanded a widow there uh, to supply you with food. So, okay, the birds quit showing up. There's no more water. Go there. I've told this widow to take care of you. 
So he goes to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, then he calls, and, and, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. So he starts out with, could you give me something to drink? And then she goes to do it, and, and some bread. Okay? Now, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replies, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. There's... There's a positive outlook on life. Woohoo! What are you doing? I'm going to have my last meal and then we're going to die. I mean, this is bad. Why? Because there's a serious drought in the land. Things are terrible. People are dying. This is no small deal, by the way. The whole country is being devastated because of the word of this prophet, because of the sins of Ahab and Jezebel. People are suffering. And this woman, she has no outlook on life. She can't give the guy anything to eat because I'm getting ready to eat our last bit and then we're going to die. At least she was all organized about it. Now, you got to think, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did not God say, go there, I, you're going to find this widow, I have commanded her to feed you. And he gets there and the widow says, I don't know what you're talking about, I got to know just me and my, my son to, hello God. Hello, I thought you said you commit. You have to understand something, people. What God says oftentimes from God's perspective looks different when you get there. Okay? It looks different. I thought it was going to be like such and such. You know, even with changes that we're going through as a church or any church, any time in people's life, you say, well, we're, we're going this new direction. All of a sudden you get there and they're, oh, wait a minute. I thought you said it was going to be like this. It's a little different than what you said. Look, as you're walking with God, you're looking through a glass darkly, Paul said. And you don't quite see the image. It's not until you really get there that things seem a little bit clearer. So here he shows up. The so-called lady that's going to take care of me doesn't know anything about it. Why would God say, I command her? Because ultimately, God had put into motion the events that would make it possible that she would take care of him. We're about to see that. But see, based on God's word, the way he said it, you would think when he showed up, boom, the lady would be there to hand him, you know, ham and cheese sandwich. Well, not ham, they're Jewish. But, but give him something, you know, here, I'm ready to take care of you. The way that God said it, that's the way you would think. But the way God said it and the way it comes to pass often doesn't always look the way. Again, let me encourage you, as you walk this life of faith and things don't always turn out the way you thought or the way you hoped, and, and at a minimum, lighten up. Lighten up as you walk through here and say, you know, if the Lord wills, James said, we'll do it this way. And if God directs and if God provides, we're going to go this way. And I believe God's going to lead and do this. Don't be arrogant and set in your ways about things. Because even though God says, hey, I got a widow there who's going to take care of you. When you get there, the widow might not know anything about it. And you're going to be shocked. And you're going to be disappointed. The Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, when you get your heart set on something a certain way and it doesn't happen, it'll make you sick on the inside. And there's a lot of people of faith, instead of living victorious lives of faith and trusting God and seeing miracles, they walk around depressed. 
They're bummed out. They're upset about things. That didn't go that way. And this didn't go this way. <laughs> That's all they do. They spend all the time whining and complaining and freaking out. Why? Because they have their hearts. I thought it would be like this. I thought it would always stay this way. And then change comes and, and we move in the area of change. And it's not like what we thought. Seriously, relax. Step out in faith. Don't freak out at changes. And as even as you walk through the changes, man, be flexible. When we get there, it might look a little different than we thought it was going to look. It's okay. Just keep your focus on him. Keep your focus on God. God will make a way when there seems that there is no way. Don't get your heart sick because you get, you're so set. I want something this way. And while it's good to have desires and goals, even in your prayer life, don't get so locked in that it turns now and it, and it kills you because it doesn't come out the way that you'd hope. Stay flexible, man. Stay flexible. God will still get you and still fulfill his word concerning you. It may not always look the way you thought it was going to look. God said, I got a widow. She's going to take care. I've already commanded her to take care of you. Get there. She said, I'm ready to die. I got nothing to give you. But yet God's word is about to still be fulfilled. Because Elijah says to him, and, and, she, and he knew this. Elijah didn't freak out by this. He knows God. He knows we don't, we don't see things the way God sees things. He's looking from a different vantage point. I'm telling you, when I'm flying around the country in my airplane at 28,000 feet, things look different from there than when you're down on the ground. God sees things differently than we do. Elijah didn't freak. He just says to her, says, don't be afraid. Go home and do just as you said. Make that meal, okay? But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and for your son. And then he prophesies to her and says, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the oil, jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. And she went away and did as Joshua told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So apparently God did command things to turn out a certain way. And they did. Just looked different than what he would have thought based on God's initial word. And check out this incredible word to this lady. Here this lady is getting the last bit of flour and oil, already resolved. This was not news to her. This was all part of the plan. Already resolved. I'm going to take this and we're going to eat it and we're going to make this food and then my son and myself, we are going to starve to death because there's nothing left. And what does God say to her? Give it away. Take the first part of it Give it to me, the prophet says. Because if you do this, God promises you that jar of, of oil will never run dry. That jar of flour will never empty until the day that God brings rain back on the earth. Now, you're talking a serious state of faith here. Talk about giving in faith. I'm telling you, you think you're having a hard time wanting to tithe? with the economy being the way it is? You think you're having a hard time wanting to give an offering because things aren't looking so good? This lady is about to die. 
What do you think? If it had been you and me, we would have said, oh, man, I, I don't need it. I don't, man, feed yourself. Feed, have a nice time dying, you know. I hope you have a lovely die time. You know, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, keep it, man. Take care of yourself. But the prophet knew, and by the Spirit of God in him, knew that if you give, you shall receive. This was not a new concept when Jesus showed up. We saw it already here in the Old Testament, and even before this. If you will give, God will bless you. It's just that simple. So in the midst of her extreme poverty, extreme poverty, say, Pastor, I don't know, I'm on a fixed income. Even no matter where you're at, even if it's a piece of cake, he said, give me a piece, and then you can have the other piece. And there's just enough for them to barely subside. But he says, give me some first. Even out of your great poverty, in your worst of circumstances, give what will happen. If you do this, God will bless. So well, I don't believe that. That's why your life stinks. It's just that simple. Of course you don't believe it. If you don't believe it, no sense in doing it. But this lady believed it. And every day she would take the jar of flour, which is almost empty, and she'd pour, wow, wow, there's enough. Wow, okay, there's still a little bit more in there. Okay, well, I guess we'll die tomorrow and, and put some oil. There's barely enough in there. And, and she made it, I guess we'll die tomorrow. And the next day she'd come out and she'd pour, and, and, and she poured it again. And more oil. And kept, I guess, you know, it's interesting that all of a sudden he didn't go just boom, and there's a whole closet full of flour and a big old barrel full of oil. No, 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 every day. Every day they went to a jar barely with enough flour. Every day barely with a little jar of oil, just enough for that day. And poured out and miraculously, there was still somehow we made it through today. Somehow miraculously, we made it through today. And then surely we must die tomorrow. And she'd get up and the next day, it's, there's somehow it, it just keeps coming out. Now, it would, that means every day she had to live by faith. Every day she had to experience God's provision. And it did not run out until the word of the prophet was fulfilled and the rain came back and prosperity came to the land. This lady and her son were taking care of that entire time because that jar never got empty. The oil never got empty, but still no big storehouse. So she didn't have to worry about it anymore. No more big barrel of oil. So, gee, I don't have to fret about it anymore. Still all she had was just the two simple, almost empty jars but they never ran out why because she was obedient to the prophet and said yes and she made what little left she had and she took a piece of it before she ate it and gave it to the prophet and God blessed her this is just the first story about Elijah. We will pick it up again next week as we will continue to read the incredible miracles that followed this prophet and Elisha, the one that comes after him. It's truly some amazing stuff. We'll pick it up again next week.